What's good? What's good, party people? Welcome to Candid Conversations. I am your host, Candia Johnson, a woman on a mission to help you show up and speak up anyway, despite dealing with fear, uncertainty, or self-doubt. When I think about some of the most trying and turbulent times in my life, I'm talking about the end of romantic relationships, friendships, getting fired from a job, losing contracts. (laughs) Reframing is the number one skill that has helped me see things through a different lens, a new perspective or a different light. It has literally helped me get unstuck from thinking I was a slacker, loser, or just not good enough. It's also helped me strengthen my relationships with other people, especially during conflict or misunderstanding. So I was super thrilled to interview Leah Garvin, the author of Unstuck, Reframe Your Thinking to Free Yourself from the Patterns and People that Hold You Back. Leah is also a leadership coach and a team operations and inclusion leader at Google. And in this episode, we have a good old time talking about the power of reframing, about the fact that it's just not about seeing the good side of things. Sometimes things are not positive, but we also talk about practical ways to reframe comparison and move past the why not me syndrome, plus the benefits and having multiple truths. And no, we not talking about alternative facts. Anywho, y'all listen, laugh, and let me know what you think. Well, 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 we have a guest in the Candid Conversation streets today. I am super thrilled to speak to Ms. Leah Garvin. She is the author behind Unstuck, Reframe Your Thinking to Free Yourself from the Patterns and People That Hold You Back. Hello, hello, Leah. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. When your people first reached out to me, I I just saw the word unstuck and reframe and I got all giddy and excited. (laughs) And once I read the book, I was even more excited because you challenge a lot of the typical definitions that we have around confidence and ways to overcome it. And for me, reframing has been a superpower as well. And so first off, I guess, let's just start with what's your definition of a reframe? So I look at a reframe as looking at a challenge or situation through another perspective. And when we do that, we see that there's so many more possibilities or options available that weren't there before. And so, as you say, things that show up in the workplace, comparison, different issues, we often start to believe these narratives over and over for a long time. And it's really hard to see another perspective. So reframing is really about pausing and saying, okay, how can I look at this from a different light? How can I look at this through another perspective? And it shows that all this other stuff is there. Now, this does not mean, I always like to caveat, it doesn't mean just look on the bright bright side or get over it. No, it does not mean that. Because looking on the bright side is ignoring the feelings, is ignoring what's going on. A new perspective allows you to say, okay, here's one way of looking at it. And what else is available to me? So it's about opening and widening as opposed to redirecting and, and getting over it. That's what I was most excited to read about in your book, because I do believe that we're in this place where People call it toxic positivity. Sometimes things, it's not positive. (laughs) And sometimes it takes a little while for you to get to the bright side of things. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed your perspectives around that. What do you believe 
has been the parts of your journey that you realized reframing was a superpower to help you get unstuck? I would say, you know, I, I dive into 12 areas in the book that were most difficult for me. And well, I would start with feedback is, is I started the book with feedback because I think that's the real, the apex of where all of the kind of garbagey stuff comes together, both the messages that were sent from other people around how we're coming across, how we're being perceived, which change no matter what situation we're in. So like we can never get it right in every single one. And then there's sort of inner narrative and, and how we're looking at ourselves. So us saying, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. The stuff you talked about in your, in your episode around imposter experience, right? All of these. And, and the other one about confidence, all these things that we start to believe and identify with um, that's feedback too. So I think my, my journey with reframing, a, a lot of it surrounded on reframing how I looked at feedback from a criticism of something people are saying they don't like about me or something I'm doing wrong or one more thing I have to deal with when I'm already tired and exhausted <laughs> and burned out from, from moving away from that and thinking about this is data or information around how I'm being perceived. And it may really come into conflict with a goal I'm trying to achieve. And in that case, I'd want to really listen to the feedback and think about it. And it may have nothing to do with me. And so I can just let it go. And it was starting to see that, okay, there's more to this story that the way I'm thinking about something right now, feedback, for example, that it's just bad. It's a criticism. It means I'm not good enough, that there could be more there that started to really plant the seed of reframing. And, and I think it opens the door to reframe around all these other topics, because when we're open to information that, Hey, we might've gotten this thing wrong, like negotiation. I discuss in detail how bad I <laughs> used to be at that. Like if we're open to accepting, Hey, I didn't get this right. And that's okay. How do I, how do I reframe my approach to get it right next time? Then all of it becomes possible. So it, it reframing feedback is about an openness. You know, I always say this, many of us go to school to learn whatever skill we need to succeed in this lifetime. But very rarely are we taught the mindset that's also required to execute on that skill. Yeah. And just and how you broke down how many different areas of our lives that we could use reframing. And I mean, listen, y'all, okay. I told Leah before we officially recorded the podcast, I said, this is a book that you read, you reread reference, and then you keep it close by your desk so that when you're getting ready to negotiate or you're getting ready to describe your impact or you are in conflict with someone, you need to have a tough conversation. This is the book that you grab and reference. Not only is it insightful, it's in actionable as well because of the questions and the prompts that you have to help a person see things from a, another perspective. The, the thing I often find funny, and I often share this with my listeners, is sometimes as I'm getting y'all mind right, I'm getting my mind right too, right? And so Leah and I were talking about, I love that you are very open with, listen, I still have trouble sometimes with having an imposter experience. So when is the last time that you've had to reframe something? Ooh, I mean, it's a daily, I would say a daily occurrence for me, but I would say leading up to my book launch, I've had to start thinking about reframing patience 
which is not in the book. So maybe there's a part two <laughs> on the horizon. There's a but journal. There's, a, there's journal. a journal coming. Yeah, yeah. There's a journal. I love that. I think this is maybe something for anyone really trying to launch a side hustle or something that you're building completely. That's really, you're at the center of it. There's a lot of vulnerability there and there can be a lot of impatience around, I want this to get out in the world and I want it to be now and I want to hear back and I want this. And there's a lot of ego in there too, but I would say that the patient side of it is slowing down and really you know, enjoying the process, enjoying the moment. And, and I know that sounds cliche and everybody tells us that, but I would say, especially when you're building something, there's so much learning that happens every moment that if we're focused on I just want to get to that end goal. We miss a lot of that learning and we also miss out on that enjoyment of, of the journey. And so I think reframing patience is about making time for gratitude, pausing, looking around saying, okay, what happened today? Maybe I didn't get an email response back or I didn't get picked for this thing. Okay. But what happened that I can learn from? Maybe I'm too eager on some of the emailing. Maybe I'm haven't gone at this angle the right way. Maybe I need to enlist more support and help. So I think that's my latest thing. Um, my, my, my book launch date was delayed because of supply chain issues, right? There's all these things that are outside of our control that reframing patients right now and in the midst of a two-year like an infinite <laughs> pandemic is going to be really important. So that, yeah, that'll be in the journal. <laughs> right. That's in the journal. Listen, we're taking notes, but it's so very true. There's a huge benefit to your well-being and sanity yeah. when you learn how to embrace patience. In fact, reframing is step four of my show up anyway framework. But in addition to reframing, I've been doing a lot of guided meditations around patience and trusting the process and trying to be more focused on things that I can control yeah. versus like you said, you know, your book was delayed because of supply chain issues. And so learning how to reframe and figure out, okay, what is it that's really within my control yeah. and how could I make that the focus now instead of things that are out of my control. Yeah. And that has been such a game changer for me. Now, sometimes it's, every day is not a game changer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, you work on it and you go from there. Exactly. Right. I love that you uh, are very candid in saying, yes, these are my tips and techniques. And it's something that I'm still working towards. And we're going to add more areas to this yeah. reframing realm of, of techniques. <laughs> now, I'm not going to give y'all too much. You've got to go get the book. But my favorite three sections are reframing confidence, reframing comparison. And then you have a section on reframing your impact, which I believe is incredibly important. And I know that you work in technology and considering women are underrepresented in technology, I could imagine that you are forever reframing <laughs> how you see situations at work. And so I want to talk a little bit about reframing confidence. In the book, uh, you talk about a catch and release process. Tell us more about that because I was really drawn to that technique. Yeah. So I, as I was thinking about comparison, which is often a really a big issue that I think everybody struggles with, potentially women more so than men in situation, because there's, like you say, fewer of us in these roles, fewer of us have opportunities at the top. So it makes us kind of look around and say, why don't I have that? Right. Hey, if, if the person is 
you know, further along, we start saying, I should be further along. If they're less, we say, who do they think they are, right? And we start comparing no matter what direction we're looking. And I talk about the book, this example of um, a colleague of mine that, that got an Airstream camper and he was showing pictures of it. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I want that. And, and I was like, I don't, one, I don't like camping. Two, I don't at all want that. What is this? Am I just grasping at anything that anybody else has and saying, oh, I'm not good enough. And this started to make me think about recognizing signals and things like FOMO and comparison. And, and this catch and release framework is about asking ourselves a few key questions when we find ourselves hooked into this comparison. And, and the first one is, do I actually want that? And so if we think of the Airstream camper, I would say, okay, no, I don't really want that. It looks cool. We take some cool selfies, but no, I, I don't actually want that. And then the second question is to ask ourselves, what is it that I do want? And that's where we see the magic happen because that's where we see, okay, I don't want an Airstream camper, but I want to be more adventurous. I want to be getting out more. I want to be exploring a little bit more. I want to not just like binge a new show over the weekend, but I want to do something. Or maybe I want more time with family. Whatever those answers are, that's where we start to see. And I think it can really help quiet some of this anxiety around comparison where we feel like I'm just like in a sea of not good enough. I don't have enough. <laughs> I'm like, I'll never have this or be that. And we start to really identify, well, what's the goal? Because then we can go after that thing. Right. And I think the tricky thing with comparison is that we are also faced with subtle messages. You talked about this a little bit in the book too. You mentioned the who wore it best. You see that on social media. And I was like, you know what? It, it really just happens with women. I don't really yeah. see the articles or the social media posts around who wore it best with men too much. I see it more so with women. And so not only do we have to contend with our inner critic and the ego within, it's these outside forces and the double standards as well that we are faced with when it comes to comparison. Yeah. I know that you have a daughter. So when you think about the double standards and the definitions of confidence and all the things that, that we were probably taught as kids, what are you teaching her or showing her that's different than the ways you were taught, particularly when it comes to double standard and confidence and all the things? Yeah. So I love, before I jump into that, I love that you call out, it's not just about us and what we're internalizing. It is about, this all starts because the double standards. And so like, that's the central theme of this is that we didn't just wake up and say, oh, I'm not good enough. We are getting messages our entire lives from, you know, the earliest socialization biases, double standards, as we talked about, it's, it's infinitely harder for women of color and, and other intersections. Right. And so that's where all of this becomes all layered together. And so I think then when we start internalizing it and feeling these, we start making decisions about how, what we can do, like you say, comparison or confidence, what we can't do, what we should say, shouldn't say. And that's where this becomes a really complicated issue. But I think the one thing I just wanted to make sure to touch on is that this book, my goal is for it to not be like, you need to fix stuff about yourself because you just like woke up and decided you suck. No, it's not at all the case. So I just wanted to like interject with that because you called it out and I wanted to build on that. Right. So for my, for my toddler, I think a few things, I talk about growth mindset when it comes to failure 
But that really comes into play in confidence too, as you called out and not labeling. I think a lot of us grew up with being labeled you're smart or shy or silly or quiet. And I've noticed the impact that stuff like that has. My daughter was what you might call shy initially. And I heard people saying, oh, Maya's shy or Maya's quiet. And then And I was like, I'm going to try not to use that label. And I read in some parenting book saying she's slow to warm up. You know, maybe that's that's a word. And we never said shy. And sure enough, now at three, not shy at all, probably the opposite of shy. And I wonder if we use that label, if she'd start to believe, okay, I am shy. You know, that's me. That's who I am. I should, what does shy mean? It means quiet. I don't talk to people, like whatever. I'm not going to label what shy is. Um, Shy is not also not a bad thing, right? There's just different ways of interacting. but she actually started calling herself silly and she likes to act silly and be silly. And she says, mommy, be silly. And and so I'm seeing, wow, like there's qualities that she's really celebrating and they're ones that she has decided on and she, things that she enjoys, not that someone else has said. And so with young, young people start to say, Hey, let's not define these people with labels. Like we were labeled. I, I still have to shake off like perceptionist, a student, teacher's pet. That's just like my, it's so ingrained that, okay, I'm probably, it's going to be, <laughs> probably never will shake that off, but I didn't probably choose that. Somebody else did. Somebody and else. it's, it served me like good in school. And it made it really hard for me when I entered the workforce because like it was not good enough central, you know, because <laughs> you can't ever be, you know, perfect for everyone. Right. So, So that's my lesson is to stop those labels, especially with women and girls. Someone once told me labels becomes limits. And it's so very true. I even uh, in my line of work, when I'm training, I meet a lot of people who say, oh, I'm an introvert. As if it's something that they should be ashamed of, that they're limited. And I'm like, okay, so you just like to reflect. You like to reflect on things before you speak versus me. I'm always running my mouth and I consider myself an introvert. I just pick and choose the moment where I need to be a little bit more extroverted, but those labels definitely limit people. So I love that, that you are pushing back because I do believe even as children, not only do we get the, oh, she's shy. Oh, she's silly. It's what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, that's a tough question because then you have to follow through on that and then you're ashamed right then you feel ashamed when you brag that you wanted to be a dancer and then you get older and you're a terrible dancer or you just don't like to dance now you want to be a lawyer I don't know I believe uh someone shared this with me or I read this somewhere that we should ask more so about the problems that it's like to solve versus giving them the label or asking them to choose what they want to be and also in uh, Austin Cleon, he has this book, Show Your Work. And I hope I don't screw this up, but it's, he, he says something like, instead of being a noun, be a verb. <laughs> like focus oh, more that. on doing versus just fo- putting yourself into yeah. a, a label. And I love that you've unlearned, because I think unlearning is part of the process. Yeah. You've unlearned and now you are sharing and passing that down to your daughter. Now- What advice would you give someone who struggles with comparison and what can we do to reframe it? Yeah. One of the strategies is to, is to celebrate for that other person and to, instead of thinking of it's a a deficiency or a lack or something you don't have to, to be there for someone else and help champion and, and cheer them on because 
we're going to want that for us when it's our turn and when it's our time. And it might be our time even sooner when we have those people champion us that we champion. And so it's not like a something that you do to get something out of it. But when we express gratitude and celebration and genuinely feel happy for other people, things start to happen for us because we're not coming from that place of, you know, judgment or negativity, or I'm not enough, or I can't. That's what's worked for me. It was when, you know, if I found myself feeling like, oh, why'd they get that? Like I was supposed to get that thing. And it's so unfair. And when we go down in the unfair spiral, like there's not a lot there that we can grasp from to do differently. It's important to recognize when there's unfairness and equity issues from a, like a systemic level and driving change there. But when you get into a why me space, it becomes really hard to move forward. And so when we recognize that and we reframe and saying, okay, I'm going to stop, pause on the why me. I can come back to that later. <laughs> That's always going to be available. And we say, let me look at how this person achieved this. Is there anything to learn here? In celebrating the approach the person tried or the work that they put in or the angle in which they achieved this, those things not only can help us broaden our understanding of this path to success, but it can, it can make us move out of that negativity and, and into some, something where we can support each other. And like we talked about where there are fewer opportunities for women in tech and corporate and in so many industries, we need to support each other because men are supporting each other all the time. They're opening doors for each other all the time. And so when we don't do that for each other, we end up like double holding ourselves back because the system already is doing that. And, and so that's another way we can reframe is by saying, I'm also beating the system and pushing against the system, I should say, and, and increasing opportunities by doing that and paying it forward for somebody else. I'm a fan of sticky notes. In the book, and you said uh, a quick reframe is shifting from why to what. Yeah. And it, I said, oh, that's going to go on a sticky note. Yeah. Because just like I believe sometimes the word how creates clutter and confusion mm -hmm. because you get so stuck in how am I going to do that? You can just simply ask yourself. For me, I ask myself, what's the next best thing? What's best, mm -hmm. best for me right now? And so I love that you uh, give the technique of shifting from why into what can her journey teach me or guide me to yeah. do right now. And so shifting from why to what is definitely a good technique for someone to easily grasp. Another thing I wanted to touch on, I believe when we are comparing ourselves, we often subconsciously believe then there's no room for us. Mm. And multiple things can be true. So you can have these multiple truths. This woman or man could be successful and so could you. It's gonna happen two different times. Absolutely. Multiple truth is this thing that I... <laughs> I, a friend and a colleague sort of brought to light for me many years ago that like, I am like desperately trying to convey to other people. And yet I love that you brought it up because there's, there are always more things going on than we realize or more, like you say, there are many realities that exist in the same time. And I'm not talking about alternative facts. I'm talking about like things that can coexist. I can be frustrated with you and still want to be your friend. I can disagree with you and still think that you have a lot to offer. I can be disappointed that I didn't make it and still celebrate your success. You can be successful. And so can I, as you said, and, and this is the way I think we actually reach building more connection with people is that 
we don't have everything have to be one or the other. It's not a zero sum game. And I think we've kind of reached a moment in like kind of discourse where a lot of stuff feels like it has to be one way or another. And there's many situations where that's not the case. And so I think it's not saying everything's up for grabs and that nothing holds true. Again, that's not what I mean. I mean, making space for multiple things to be able to coexist together. I I think that that's incredibly important, even when it comes to getting unstuck. Affirmation or saying that I say to myself often is I can be uncertain and fearful and still move forward. Yes. Oftentimes you think that fear means you stop or self-doubt means you stop. And I've learned even with having an imposter experience, we girl, I'm taking you and this imposter. We going on stage and we're going to speak and we're going to kill it. Okay. That's what we're going to do. We be uncertain and fearful and still move forward. And even during my workshops, if I found that someone disagrees with me or they have a different experience, which of course they're entitled to, my response lately has been two things can be true at the same time. And let's just, because they can be. And I love that you said it doesn't have to be one or the other. There could be two things that are true. Give yourself permission to accept that or receive that and change your mind and move on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so something else I wanted to touch on is when you think about reframing, I believe too, it's this permission slip that sometimes you have to give yourself to to change your mind and say, okay, Mm -hmm. I once believed that maybe five years ago, I don't believe it anymore. What is something that you used to believe, but you no longer believe right now? Oh, I love that. I would say, and you mentioned the impact chapter. I think one thing I used to believe was talking about yourself or your work is bragging. And it's like, oh my God, no, it couldn't be more (laughs) further from the truth. But we start to believe that. And then we have no chance of getting our work into the world and having to be celebrated. I think that's one of the most detrimental beliefs that we can have is that we should not talk about ourselves or our work. Right. Where do you believe that belief came from that we shouldn't talk, talk about our work? I think mine's came from my family. (laughs) Yeah, I think it comes from just put your head down and people will notice that belief. Good work is noticed, which is like not true at all. (laughs) Um, You know, this just work hard, be nice, right? Be a little worker, be, be a good student. A lot of those narratives. And then with sort of that mixed with don't be a show off, you know, you don't want to stand out. It's kind of like, well, now I think like people are standing out or doing pretty well. So like, it kind of wasn't the the right message. Right. Um, That is very true. I, I was just thinking as you were speaking and giving those examples, I believe when I was going, I was told all those things, just put your head down and do the work and someone will notice you and you'll get picked. And so I carried that a long way into my career journey until a light bulb went off. And it's like hard work does not speak for itself. And I hear women talk about their fears around negotiating or asking for a raise. The sentence that we often lead with is I'm a hard worker. I work hard. And not being able to articulate the value 
that working hard looks like for whoever you're you're pitching or trying to sell yourself to becomes something that could definitely keep you stuck, especially if you think that the hard work is going to be the thing that gets you there. Exactly. Like someone's going to say, great, we're all hard worker. Like it's like saying I want to get paid more because I want more money. Like, yeah, everybody does. <laughs> cool. Like now what? Right. And exactly what you're saying, connecting it to what your organization or your manager or team cares about. That's that differentiator, right? It's about here is what I bring. Here is how that supports the goal that you have. Here's how I make your life easier or this company more money or, or this organization better. Now, what can you do for me? I love that you mentioned that because it's reframing also away from I and the personal. It's not like, do you want to pay me more or give me this promotion because you like me or not? And I think that's also the problem when we say, I work hard or we equate like the value with ourself as sort of like who we are as a person instead of what we're doing. Like this is about our job, this is about the output about, and when we can move it to be more objective, we can take it less personally. It's less scary to negotiate because there's something really concrete to talk about. There's something that you can both look at objectively. So thank you for calling that out because I think that's exactly where we go wrong is saying, it's about me and my worth and being good enough. And therefore, if I get a no, I am a loser and I should just give up. No, it's, hey, this bargaining chip I put forward. Oh, that wasn't the most important thing to them. What else can I put forward? And you start to be able to really see what's possible there. Right. Oh, gosh, I love that so much. Hearing you speak makes me think of this quote by uh, Zig Ziglar. It's failure is an event, not a person. Yes. And you're right. When we talk about I work hard, we are personalizing that experience. And I believe too, that it can negatively impact even how you show up in that conversation, especially for women at work. Do you believe that in terms of articulating your value, how early should you have that conversation? Meaning if you know, you want to get promoted or get a pay raise by the, at the end of the year, do you believe you should have some preliminary conversations to set the tone for that? Or should you just wait and do the work and then <laughs> make the ask? No, I think we need to lay the groundwork. I really do. Because, and, and there's, I think we all have to find the way to do that authentically for ourselves. And, and that's the first part was like a lot of books and advice say like, go get out there and ask for it. And I found when I would ask for it, people would look at me like, uh, this isn't how it works. And I, and I felt embarrassed and ashamed. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to follow that advice anymore. But it was because I was like following some prescriptive way of doing something. And I think we, if we think about like the goal, as you've said, let's say get a raise by the end of the year promotion, thinking about what are the ways in which I can both ask for that's authentic to me and, and go about achieving that in a way that's authentic to me. And so I think a lot of times when we don't think about what is authentic to me, we start going after things like maybe being a people manager or taking on projects that maybe we don't want to do. Or we're not interested. And then it makes like this trudge towards this goal really, really hard. And when we encounter setbacks, it's like, forget, it, I didn't want to be a manager anyway. Like it sucks. <laughs> but actually if we say, okay, what's the goal? What do I want to do to achieve that? Well, I need to get more visibility in my work. I need to take on some leadership here. I need to, you know, X, Y, Z there's actually many paths to success. And so I think that's why you want to think about it earlier, because you also want to be able to try different approaches and see, hey, 
if I haven't, this project that's sort of marching me towards that promotion isn't landing or working, I still have time to adjust and pivot and, and be able to explore more options. Right, right. Oh, I, I, I love that. And so I have an episode on the podcast called uh, Triple Your Confidence. And one of my tips is learn how to have tough conversations that make yes. you feel awkward and uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Yeah, and exactly. the greatest lesson for me is not waiting until the moment when I need something, but setting that intention. Let's have this conversation now because sooner or later I'm coming for the cash, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> coming for my raise or a higher increase. And so I have one last question for you. This should be a little bit fun. If there was one rule, one rule that you believe everyone should follow, what would that rule be? Ooh, let's see. One rule of reframe I've been playing around with lately is it's not you, it's your approach. And I think you literally say that in the confidence episode, <laughs> like I, it's something like that, right? Listen, that is a mic drop. That is a mic drop. Can I, I want to share something. <laughs> funny that happened to me this week. So I spoke to someone this week and they were looking for some advice on pitching and selling themselves and all the things. And that was hands down my advice. It's your approach. Yeah. It's everything from your tone to your words. It's your approach. And sometimes I like to say, sometimes it's not you, it's them. But in this case, I was like, it's you, not them. <laughs> it's your approach. And I believe each of us have different preferences and styles and work approaches and all the things and learning to adapt that approach yep. as needed is really the key to getting unstuck and getting more of the life that you desire for yourself. It's looking at how you can shift perspective and see a new approach for things. So exactly. I want to thank you so much, Leah, for being on the a guest on the Candid Conversations podcast. Tell us all the things, the ways we can connect with you, where we can buy the book. Yes. So book April 5th, it's in, it's in stores on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, all the good places. Reach out on my website, www.leahgarvin.com. You can learn more about my work, purchase the book, uh, get in touch with me. Also LinkedIn's a great place to get in touch. Instagram at leah.garvin. I have a YouTube channel called Reframe with Leah. I share videos and different things related to the book and future of work and, and career coaching in general. So please get in touch. I'd love to hear what you thought and, and hear more ideas and hear how you're reframing. Because like yes. this does, it takes a village. It takes a lifetime. But... It takes a village. Y'all go get this book and reframe your entire life. Okay. And let me know in the comments how you, how much you enjoyed this episode. If this episode resonated or, or bless your heart in any way, share it with your people so they can share it with their people. I'll see you all next week.